Well, it's been another huge week in the travel industry. We've seen the AFTA AGM showing financial results and the election of directors. We've seen government support in WA and nuclear protocols. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. So this week, the Australian Federation of Travel Agents, or AFTA, finally held its annual general meeting for 2019-20. And I believe you went along, Bruce. What happened? Yeah, this was the 43rd annual general meeting for AFTA, and I think it was about my 15th. Usually these meetings are very, very brief, basically formalities required to accept the accounts, accept the annual report, etc. There's also always an election for directors. Half of the 12-member board is up for re-election every year, but for the first time in living memory, well, not quite, there were actually some external nominations for the board. So they had to read out the results of the election, which meant the meeting went on a little bit longer than I can remember, ever being that long, but it was still only 11 minutes. So given COVID times, how many people were there? I presume some had to connect through Zoom. Yeah, it was interesting to see that despite there being additional nominations this year, and of course the industry being in a complete crisis, there was still didn't seem to be that much interest in the goings-on. They held the meeting in North Sydney at the Travel Industry Hub in the boardroom, and there was a full Zoom facility available, so people could connect in online. But despite all the setup and making provision for um, people to attend, obviously in person and also connect in, the only attendees were pretty much most of the existing directors or their alternates and people who'd been nominated for the board. I was allowed to go along as an observer, and as well as me and a number of the AFTA team, there were just three people there in person, Julie Primer and David Padman from Hello World, and Nicole Haig, who was representing CT Partners. As well as them, and of course, AFTA CEO Darren Rudd, other AFTA board members connected through via Zoom from Melbourne, Perth, and Brisbane, and they included Webjet's Shelley Beasley, who was making her first appearance since controversially being appointed to the AFTA board a couple of weeks ago. And we heard that even though there were nominations for new directors, the existing ones who were standing ended up being re-elected. Was this a surprise at all? Yeah, no surprise whatsoever, but it may have come as a bit of a surprise to the majority of AFTA members to find that they don't really have much of a say. The way the constitution is written, most individual travel agencies, which are part of a consortium or group, are concessional members, meaning they pay a lower fee to be members, but that also means that their votes move into the hands of their head office. There's a sort of complicated formula that works out how many votes are available, but the bottom line is only full members get an individual vote. Everyone else's get diluted, basically on a one in three basis. That means that overall there are about 1,050 votes available to be cast, based on that formula uh, in the current membership, and about 850 votes were actually cast this year. I mentioned it was the first time they'd had an election for many years, and I'm sure having to conduct the voting wasn't cheap. After engaged Computer Share, which looks after such matters for lots of public companies, to conduct the electronic ballot, and I bet that cost a pretty penny, and unfortunately all fairly predictable because the way the voting works, basically with the board being the heads of all the agency chains, they hold all the votes or the majority of them, and that meant all the existing six directors received more than 800 votes each, while the two newcomers, Michelle Emerton from ATAC and Simon Tehenepi from Traveller, only got about 50 each, so a real landslide. And what else happened at the AGM? Well, in the 11 minutes, they formally voted to accept the accounts and the annual report for 2019-20, which, interestingly, despite us being almost in October, only relates to the 12 months to the end of March, that's their after financial year, so only a couple of weeks of impact from the COVID-19 pandemic which is, of course, still going on six months later. As we reported in Travel Daily earlier this week, the financial results weren't great, and that was for a year when AFTA took in about $2.2 million in membership 
and ATAS accreditation fees. As many of our listeners will know, a couple of years ago, AFTA sold its head office in Sydney, making a handsome profit. The money's been invested in a range of financial assets, and the previous year, as well as the windfall from the sale of the property, those assets also generated a good return. But in the most recent year, the dive in the stock market when the pandemic hit meant overall AFTA lost about $450,000. To me, it's pretty concerning what the financial future of the Federation is. I mean, if they lost 450000 in a normal year, what's the balance going to be like after a year of COVID when they've waived all fees? So there's not that $2.2 million isn't coming in this year. Um, they haven't had the NTIA that they made $80,000 from the previous year. And they've just had to do so much extra work lobbying and influencing politicians. The AFTA team have done an amazing job under such extraordinarily difficult circumstances. I just hope they get recognised for what they've done and that when this terrible pandemic passes, there's enough funding to get them back on their feet. And in some good news this week, we finally saw some action in support of travel agents in Western Australia. The government there really seems to have come around. Yeah, this was a really good news story and it's a tribute to the massive efforts, particularly of two WA agents, Christine Ross-Davies from Atadale Travel and Joe Francis from Global Travel Solutions, who have really worked like crazy to rally the troops. They've organised petitions, they've spoken to politicians at all levels, right from the early stages of the pandemic. Through the pandemic, we've had lots of feedback from our readers who said, particularly that WA Tourism Minister Paul Papalea, he just had no awareness whatsoever, pretty much that travel agents even existed. And he'd also done some fairly silly things like um, that partnership with Expedia on a domestic tourism program. But now, what a backflip. All of a sudden, he's the travel agent's greatest advocate. Yes, and he announced a $3 million package. What were the main elements of that? Yeah, it's $3 million for the industry. And what's interesting is that unlike other states and territories, this was a specific package to support travel agents rather than being an economy-wide measure. Even home-based agents who meet certain criteria can access a $5,000 grant, while bricks and mortar agencies will get at least 10000 It's a huge deal because I think politically it finally puts the plight of the industry front and centre and hopefully will influence other jurisdictions to support their agents too. It was interesting to see in his media release the minister putting the blame for the industry's woes fairly and squarely on the federal government's international border closures. He admitted to mention that uh, Western Australia's hard border has really also put paid to any hope that agents could benefit from interstate domestic tourism. But I think the industry's got to take what it can get, and this was definitely a bit of rare good news. And in late-breaking news, just as we've actually been recording the podcast today, Flight Centre has announced that it's making its product range widely available. What's the story there? Yeah, this is pretty big and great news for agents who were using Flight Centre product previously through Infinity Holidays, which has disappeared in a restructure of the company's product operations. It looks like that's all going to ramp up again and a pretty aggressive move. They've said they'll make all Flight Centre product, hotels, car hire, tours, activities, attractions, and even air, available to retailers across the industry in Australia, basically to their competitors. It's a pretty exciting move, and it is good to see some initiative being taken while we all continue to reel from the impact of COVID-19. Well, everyone loves a celebration, and next week we are inviting the industry to join in to commemorate the support the industry has been giving to one another through the COVID-19 pandemic with the announcement of the winners of the 2020 Travel Daily Awards. The winners are going to be announced throughout the day next Wednesday, 30th of September. 
We've created a Facebook event so you can follow all the action and we will be posting the winners in all of the categories as they are announced to finalists across the day. So dress up, invite your friends to join in and take some photos because we will be rewarding the best dressed with prizes. Make sure you use the hashtag, hashtag TDAwards2020 so that we can see what you're up to. For more details of the celebration, see awards.traveldaily.com.au. This week, Cruise Lines International Association has released the long-awaited protocols that they're suggesting could form the basis of a restart of cruising in the USA. When do they think we might get things going again? We've seen cruising already restart in Europe under a range of guidelines, with officials in the EU moving pretty quickly to establish protocols which are prior to all countries, and that's really helped things to move forward there. Of course, each individual country does its own thing, you know, its own tweaks and and the individual cruise lines also, but basically it's allowed for a restart in contrast to the situation in the USA where just there just seems to have been a total policy paralysis clear. And its various cruise line members have, of course, been working like crazy to get their plans together. And this week submitted a baseline of minimum mandatory requirements, which each line would adopt in the event of a restart, which they're saying, with the support of regulators and destinations across the Americas, could happen before Christmas. Uh, It's a pretty comprehensive proposal. They're not pulling any punches. Mandatory COVID-19 testing for all passengers and crew before boarding. Onboard masks wherever physical distancing can't be maintained and also on shore excursions. Dedicated cabins for isolation of COVID-19 cases and pre-arrangements with shoreside medical facilities for any you know, evacuations or treatment that are required. It's pretty huge. I'm sure it's going to cost the industry a fortune to implement, but it's better than having ships lying idle and it does pave a way forward. So what's the next step with all that? And what about sort of local cruising? Well, the proposals have now been lodged with the CDC as part of a public inquiry, which, as you would expect, has had thousands and thousands of submissions, um, in, interestingly, also including some allegations of orchestrated campaigns by anti-cruise activists. The CDC submission period's now ended. They, they're going to consider the input. It appears that they are the gatekeepers, and unfortunately, there's no timeline at this stage. So the industry just waits with bated breath for some developments on that front. But I think behind the scenes, there is a lot of pushing going on. Locally, well, the guidelines at this stage are definitely US-centric, but Claire MD Joel Katz said they will help form the basis of ongoing discussions with officials in Australia and New Zealand. So fingers crossed we can get a way forward. And finally, earlier this week, it became clear that despite the massive impact of COVID-19 on travel, at least some people still see opportunities in the sector, with a majority stake in Tripodil acquired by private equity firm BGH. What are they thinking? Yeah, this was another rare piece of good news. It's actually pretty amazing that a deal like this can happen despite what we're all going through. BGH, which was incidentally one of the bidders for Virgin Australia, it's also in the throes of an acquisition of Village Roadshow, including Warner Brothers Movie World, has taken a 55% stake in Tripodil, and they're insisting it's based on pre-COVID negotiations, price-wise, rather than an opportunistic acquisition of a business in distress. Not much detail of the deal is available, certainly no price but the announcement did note that Tripodil was on track for $200 million in TTV in 2019-20 before COVID hit and that it was growing at about 40% a year. I think that said they had 60,000 forward bookings. BGH definitely sees a big future in travel and they said they like the Tripodil business model, which is backed by good technology without the big expenses of running a retail network. 
it is very exciting to see some people putting their money where their mouth is and believing there is a big future for the industry beyond the pandemic. Great news indeed. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you again for listening. Keep up to date throughout the week with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and from Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.